Here's a theme song, you know it's not a mean song It's a good song, just as it should song American Brews and Tunes Is it summer? <laughs> yes Is it really though? Um, I think the first day of summer is in June, isn't it? I don't know. It, maybe it's July. Is it? I want to say it's in June. Do they call it the? Is it the summer solstice? Summer solstice. Yeah. Is it like July twentieth? July August. Is it? Maybe I think you're it right. Is. It's probably. I think it's June. Um. I think. Let's see. It is June twentieth. So oh. you're right about the twenty. Because it's always like in that twenty range. I you know, like. Uh, Fall starts in like the twenty first of September. Yeah, because my my birthday is like the last day of last day summer, of summer. Uh, and then the winter doesn't begin till December twenty something. Yeah, which is weird because December. Like, well, it's a, it's all it's all based on the yeah like the equinox and solstice and whatnot of stars, the and, position of the stars and the moon yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. But the only reason I say that is because in the summer, what can you do other than surf? <laughs> surf. <laughs> At the beach with the boys. <laughs> with the boys. Um, I guess I should say that this is American Brews and Tunes. It sure is. Uh, episode number 117. Yes. Which, uh, if you listened to our last episode where we talked about all kinds of hullabaloo, hullabaloo. Um, we mentioned that we were going to be reviewing the seminal album Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is a uh, an album for sure. Yeah, it definitely is. Um I hadn't. I knew. I knew like all the big songs off of it before uh, we decided to do this episode, but then I listened to the whole thing straight through, and I was like, "Wow, this is a strange album." It's strange. I mean, it works as a whole. I think it's definitely it does, meant to be yeah. listened as a, a cohesive album, but uh, it's not what you'd expect from the California Girls or Surfing USA band. Yeah, exactly. And that's what people thought at the time. But we'll get into that. Oh. Um, before we talk about Beach Boys and Pet Sounds, let's uh, talk about some beer, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited for this one. Um, we're back at it with one of our favorite local Nashville craft breweries. And I believe they're expanding they are, into yeah. other markets. Um, but it, it's the one and only Bearded Iris. Yes. Um, and this beer that we're having is aged a little over a year at this point in time. We, True, yeah. We got it at their fourth anniversary which was march i think march 2nd february is it the very end of february or the very very beginning of march i'm pretty sure it's 2020 it was literally like a week before everything shut down yeah yeah you're right it was wow yeah so uh, they had all kind of good releases but one of them that they they had was uh an aged sour ale yeah um they had a couple a different ones sour ale um why don't you talk about the one that we've got now uh this beer is called Daylight Robbery, and it is a barrel-aged fruited sour. And what they say about it is a captivating wild ale aged 12 to 24 months in French oak wine barrels, then conditioned with a covert cache of bountiful black currant and apricot. Ooh. Or apricot, if you say it that way. I... Apricots, what do what those taste like? Because the only time I can remember having... Apricots? I only ever really eat dried apricot. I, I guess. Yeah, that's true. I'm trying to um, think like what a fresh one tastes. Is it like a peach maybe? I would assume that it's, it's a similar... It's a sweeter a fruit. Similar to a peach, but it, probably a little bit more tart than a peach. Yeah. and That's what I would guess though. 
currants are tart. Currants they're those little tart. like black berries. Yeah, currant berries. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, they're weird tart. looking. Yeah, but I, I like currants. Um, I don't know if I like them by themselves. I don't know if I've ever eaten them, but I've had I've them. I've never mixed. eaten them by by themselves. I was unrelated to currants. I was listening to a guy <laughs> talk about scotch on um, some YouTube video where he was talking about. Something scotchy related, scotchy scotch Something scotch scotch related, yeah. And he's talking about how, like, a lot of the second tier level scotches, like a, not just the plain barrel aged ones, are aged in some kind of wine casks. Oh. And he's saying you never know how much wine will actually be mixed in. He's like, oh, this is what he was talking about. You can't trust the color of a scotch. He's like, if you age it in a port barrel, perhaps, mm. um, it's not like they dried out the barrels. There may be some port still sloshing around at the bottom when they add yeah, the scotch. Yeah, true. So I wonder for like something like this in the, the French wine casks, was there any wine left over? Yeah, I, true. I just, don't know. Just for reference, it is like a really nice kind of like dark, like red, I guess like it's not really like blood red, but it's raspberry colored, maybe. Yeah, raspberry colored. Yeah, it's not your typical red. It kind of has a little bit of purple mixed in there. It looks like a wine, like a, a yeah. light, like a like a fruity like red wine, not like a dark Welch's cabernet grape juice. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's like whatever the like the light red fruity wines are. Yeah, it looks tasty. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about it. Let's say we we give it a uh, crack and a pour. Yeah, let's. I also just really like the design of it. It's really simple. I do too. And they had. I think a sister beer for this one where they it was did, aged yeah. in, I looked it up, raspberry and cherry. Raspberry, wait, what? Raspberry and cherry? Yeah, raspberry and tart cherry was what the other one aged on. Oh, but, but aged both, on. But it was still aged in French wine casks. Gotcha. So I guess like the bases, they're aging them in French wine casks and they're switching the, the fruit portion. I can already smell that. I can too. Good amount of oh my you never. Gosh. I mean, it's only been aged a year, but sometimes with aged beers, they don't retain like the carbonation very well. This one looks like it has. Like you can see a whole crap ton of bubbles in there. I'll give you a little more. Yeah, it's. I mean, it smells really good, and the the head is a little pinkish. It definitely looks pink. It's a. Uh, yeah, it's pink. Uh, the same color as we said before, and it's super carbonated. And oh wow, yeah. As just smell it real quick. It smells like a sour ale. It I does, mean, yeah, clearly it smells like a sour. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a fruited sour or like a wild. But, like I don't know, wild ales sometimes are are a little different than sour ales, but yeah, it kind of almost has that like really aggressive sour scent. <laughs> you just dip your nose in there. Yeah, on it was an accident. I realized how full mine was. I got a little nose donkey. Yeah, a little nose donkey. You smell um, any French wine? We. Oui. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, no, I don't know what French wine smells like. Or tastes like, but I'm sure it's going to taste yeah, pretty good. I mean, it smells fruity. It smells tart. Um, let's say we give it a, a try, as we always do in American Brews and Tunes. Yeah, I'm curious. Wait, did you did you say it was currant and... Currant and apricot. Apricot. Apricot, apricot. Apricot? Apricot. Apricot, weepricot. Hoopricot. Hoopricot. American Brews and Tunes. Sleeping on an army cot? <laughs> down what? the cot hatch down the cot. <laughs> wow super light mouth feel like the bubbles dissipate kind of like a champagne definitely like a champagne super tart but not as overwhelming as some sour beers that i've had 
Now the, the tartness lingers. I wonder if I'm crazy. A little but, vinegary. <laughs> yeah, I mean it. It does have that that regular kind of tart flavor that a, a sour beer has. Yeah. And I wanted to comment on the what I was, I'm assuming I'm tasting is the currant and apricot. I would assume so as well. And I wonder if the they must have used like the exact right portion to like use the apricot to maybe curb the like the vicious bitterness of a, the currant berries. That would make sense. Like, like something to balance it a little. Yeah, because like I get that really like really sour initial taste. But then there are these like nice little hints of sweetness that also come through to kind of balance it out. And I, th- yeah, I mean, you do get that tartness on the tip of your tongue immediately, but I think you get a flood of fruitiness, which then dissipates to a to lingering, like a lingering tart. tart. Yeah. yeah. It's a good beer. Definitely. I like it. I'd like to compare this versus the same beer that was not aged in the wine barrels. Right. That would be interesting. Yeah. Like a just, side, like a side by side comparison, just as like a fresh one, just just to see the difference. Because I wonder if there's a, there is a slight little bit of warm warmness from the uh, like what what you would get from like a whiskey or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there is kind of like there's that aspect of it, and I wonder if that's what uh, was taken out of the wine, or it does kind of have like a, a dryness that like a red wine normally has. Yeah, that could be the Frenchiness, the French Frenchiness, wine. French wininess. There's a lot of French wininess in this. Yeah, I'd say so too. Um, I think it's a pretty good beer. Um, sours, I'd say, are usually always hit or miss for me. Um, they're either really good or like really over the top sour and not very good. Um, yeah. And there's not much in the way of middle ground. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think I've had any French wine. Well, not French wine, but like sours. Oh, oh sours, sours. Sours in general. Yeah, like there's a lot of like the cheap sours that come out that are just made like uh, like kind of how like they put the salt in the gozas, like to make them real quick and cheap. Yeah. Um, versus an actual goza from Germany that's been aged. Yeah, and is like a ancient recipe and they've been doing it the same way for hundreds of years. Yeah. And if you had that versus a, a much cheaper... Versus um, craft a craft brewery a faux, place, a faux goza. There's a big difference. Yeah, or any of the Belgian sours. You know, big difference. Yeah, very true. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. This is pretty tasty, though. I like it. I'm usually a fan of anything they do, though. So it is interesting for them to do a sour, though. Yeah, because they they've done generally s- they don't do that. Usually IPAs and the pretty much the like vault, the eighty percent of the time IPAs. The slight variety that they cultivate is some good stouts. Yeah. <laughs> And maybe a lager here and there. But yeah, like I, like if you gave this to me, it didn't tell me it was from Bearded Iris, I would probably be like, huh, who's this from? And then if you said Bearded Iris, I'd be like, what? Yeah. Doesn't smell like a, a Bearded Iris beer. No. So they, 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 they really went out on a limb with this one. And yeah. I mean, it tastes good. I'm happy. It's a winner in my book. Um, as with all the beers we try in here, if we think that it tastes a little different as it warms up and opens up, we'll let you know. Otherwise, let's delve into this album, shall we? Yeah, let's delve into this beast of an album. This crazy album. I've got a lot of background and backstory for this album and history. And just a disclaimer, all of my information (laughs) comes from Wikipedia. I mean, if you think about it, before 
People would have to research in uh, encyclopedias. Yeah, encyclopedia, and Wikipedia. It's essentially the same thing. Yeah, it's all pedias. It's all pedias. Yeah, isn't it? That's right. In reference to kids? Like hmm? Pediatrician? Uh, pediatrician. Pediasure? Or Pedialyte? Pedialyte, yeah. yeah. For kids. <laughs> Wiki is for kids. Wiki kids. <laughs> Encyclikids. Encyclikids. I don't know. It all comes from Latin, and I don't really understand why they put the two things together. Doesn't matter. Wikipedia supplied me with a ton of information on pet sounds. Yes. So let me regurgitate some. All right. <laughs> well, I'm actually interested, because I didn't really research the album too much, like the history of it. Oh, I read a lot into this. Plus, I, I, I've enjoyed this album for a long time, so I've, I've been a... a Student of the Pet Sounds for some time. Gotcha. Um, this was released in 1966, and it is okay. the Beach Boys' 11th studio album. Um, really? Yeah, it was a big departure from their 10th album. That was called The Beach Boys' Party, and that was the one where the, all they did was cover songs, and the studio kind of pushed that one. The Beach Boys didn't even finish it. But like that that's where, you remember their cover of Barbara Ann? Ba, 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 that's ba, from that ba, one. Ba, 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 um, they covered, um, I think they covered another Beach Boys song, which is weird. They covered a Beatles <laughs> song. I think they did The Times Are Changing. Really? Some goofy stuff. Um, but this weird. was the one that came out right after. And they're clearly world famous at this point. I I wouldn't have guessed that, they, that this was their 11th album. Well, that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. So what? They've been, like, they were active in the 50s? Um, I think they started in the early 60s. Okay. Um, I think they were like the Beatles where they were pumping two or three albums out a year for a wow. while. Yeah, a lot of content then. Yeah, I mean, they've done a couple Christmas albums. So, I mean, it's other stuff too. Like, gotcha. you know, he's a little Saint Nick. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but they're world famous at this point in time for having that California sound. Like that poppy yep. surf music about literally surfing girls yep. in old cars. Yeah. Um, but this album took a turn. Just a um, little bit, yeah. The subject matter became more introspective, uh, less about the superficial things. Um, but prior to this album in 1965, Brian Wilson, who was one of the Beach Boys, um, for anyone who doesn't know anything about the Beach Boys, there are five members. Three of them are brothers. There's Brian Wilson, who was the bass player. They all sang. Um, yeah. And he was the uh, principal songwriter. There was Carl Wilson, who played lead guitar. And there was Dennis Wilson who played the drums. Hmm. Um, their cousin, Mike Love, only sang. And they had a family friend, Al Jardine, who played lead guitar. Okay. Or rhythm, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. He played guitar and he also sang. Um, but in 1965, Brian Wilson stopped touring hmm. um, in order to start focusing on writing. Hmm. He wasn't really getting the... I don't know if it was a like the lack of fulfillment or if he just needed to sit down and focus without being on the road. Yeah. But he stopped touring. Wow. So the band was on the road, and he just literally wrote the whole wow. time. Um, around this time, he also started taking LSD and smoking weed heavily. So he oh, was okay. he was getting enlightened. Okay, he was going to different planes. Makes um, sense. So that that came into some inspiration. Um, but in addition to that, Rubber Soul came out. Oh, and that was a big huge. influence. So. Yeah. Um, he's talked about in interviews, and I think Paul McCartney has as well, that there was a friendly kind of competition where something would come out from the Beatles and then the Beach Boys would try and top it and vice versa. Hmm. So he was really inspired by Rubber Soul. Um, he, uh, in particular, he said there was no filler tracks, which at the time 
albums kind of like the 90s when cds were selling a ton albums were just like having one or two good songs one or two good and then songs, a lot yeah. of filler just just to sell yeah um but phil specter's wall of sound was also real big um do you know phil specter no i don't big record producer um oh i can't remember any of the names of his songs but like the poppy doo-wop songs with the the big orchestrations okay um eventually i think he got involved in a murder but that's for another oh. podcast <laughs> he wasn't the murderer but I, he might have he been. was just involved he might have been i don't know um there was some kind of scandal that tarnished mm. his reputation um, but yes brian wrote this on his own like some of it but oh, eventually really? okay. he employed the co-writing abilities of a guy named tony asher okay um, mike love was his I guess, quote-unquote, writing partner beforehand, but this time he wanted something different. Um, again, going for different things, and Mike Love wasn't really wanting to write different things. Gotcha. But we'll touch upon that in a little bit. He was wanting to do more of the same. Yeah. More of the surfy rock that they had been doing. Yeah, because it was working, right? Yeah. They were famous. Um, but Brian Wilson wrote a little bit more autobiographically than than they did before. Um, clearly because, I don't know if you know this, but the only person who surfed in the Beach Boys was Dennis Wilson. Oh, really? None of them <laughs> else knew how to surf. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, he was um, he was the one who had the like the flowy, long, blonde hair. Like he, he looked like the surfer. The rest of them just dressed up in preppy clothes and sang about sur- surfing. <laughs> um, but anyways... Um, well, he, if, if that's the case, I could definitely see why Brian Wilson would kind of want to split off and and actually write... Something that he wanted to write instead of just doing the same old thing over yeah. and over again. Yeah, he was the creative one and he, he wanted yeah. to compose and experiment. Hmm. Um, but he also had a lot of things going on. His marriage was was kind of on the rocks. It eventually would fail. Um, and he was struggling with his mental health. Um, hmm. I believe he was later diagnosed with bipolar disorder and a schizo disorder. Hmm. Like hearing voices kind of things. Oh, really? Um, which was, oh. I guess, made worse by the drugs and the psychedelics. Probably, um, yeah, I could see that. Definitely didn't help. Um, but the music on this album was much more complex than the other stuff. Like mm. their, their previous stuff was classic rock and roll. Yeah. Um, like Chuck Berry. Like they, they literally ripped off a Chuck Berry song and had to put him a, a, as a writer. Really? On, it might have been Surfing USA. Wow. That's um, so funny. But in this one, the chord progressions became much more complex. Yeah, that's that, that was one of the first things that I noticed about this album is that it seems like they switch keys like... A lot. Every single song, like within few measures, switch a key. Few, were, few other measures, switch back to the, that uh, previous key. There are certain songs that they throw around around the word tonal ambiguity. Yeah. Where the tone shift is unclear. Yeah. Or the tone center is unclear, I guess. Yeah, I think I think I would agree more with tone center is unclear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they, I mean, not only did they, Brian Wilson, I shouldn't say they, um, switch up like the composition style but the instrumentation uh it wasn't two guitars a bass and drums i think there was only one song that may have had that format to a degree on this yeah it um, seemed like i'm like i'm like trying to think of some of the songs and it seems like they just use like um i mean there are drums on the album then what are the instruments that they'd use auxiliary percussion strings woodwinds yeah just horns. like yeah, like not the typical, especially for that time. They played. I mean, obviously their bands existed with those instruments, yeah. you know, like swing bands or but not necessarily whatever else. Pop but or yeah, not in the pop rock. Yeah, um, they used Coca Cola bottles, 
Not really. <laughs> Bicycle bells and horns. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember. Um, honk honk. Yeah, in that for in the first song on the album, the honk honk. You're like, at what the in end. the world? And <laughs> whenever whenever I first heard that song, I was like, what? <laughs> I don't think that adds anything useful to this song. I'll tell you why it was in there later. Okay. There's a, a very good reason. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's strange. Um, the theremin. Oh, the theremin. They were the first ones to use a theremin in like a uh, pop song. Huh. Um, and they'll use it again on Good Vibrations. Yes. Um, but they also have pet sounds or dog sounds, whatever you want to call them. Yep. Um, which in turn was directly copied by the Beatles on Good Morning from Rubber Soul. Oh. So they were inspired by pet sounds and they returned the favor, I guess. Okay. So the majority of the tracking was done by the Wrecking Crew. I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, it was a group of really skilled studio musicians in okay. L.A. in like the, I don't know, the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Okay. Um, they worked on like any pop music that would have come out on the radio. They probably are the ones who hmm. recorded it. Like a lot of pop bands didn't do their own instrumentation. Huh. Um, there's a really good documentary called The Wrecking Crew. If you're ever interested, um, it's worth a watch. That's all about them. Yeah. And also, another movie, if you ever are interested about the making of pet sounds, is the movie Love and Mercy. Um, it's a, a biopic about Brian Wilson, and they, yeah. they show this era pretty well. Yeah, I think, I think I'm definitely going to have to watch that movie. It's a really, really is good it, movie. Is it on Netflix? Not that I know of. Is I have the on? DVD if you ever want to oh, okay. give it a watch, though. Um, but yeah, Brian Wilson went to the Wrecking Crew. They played all of the instrumentation, um, and he would notate things um he would take some suggestions but apparently he was he was pretty he was pretty like, fist, hmm. like ruling and there's some accounts of, of people in the wrecking crew who would get their sheet music and like look at it and then look at other people saying are these in different keys for the same song but then when they would play it it would work huh so uh, brian wilson was a very smart guy and surprised even skilled studio musicians i guess wow yeah that is pretty surprising yeah but he was a he rolled with his iron fist um, the rest of the brand, the band was also surprised um, because they literally came back from tour and he had all this stuff recorded. He just needed them to do their vocals. <laughs> um, and they, they did eventually record some instruments hey, what's themselves. Hey, guys? Welcome back. I got a new album for yeah. us. Um, but they were, they were surprised by that and the music itself. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, Mike Love thought it wasn't really Beach Boys music. Brian, um, where are the guitars, dude? Yeah, he, he thought it was more like maybe a Brian Wilson solo album. Oh, okay. Um, but it, Mike Love is famous for saying, don't F with the formula. Ooh. So he was, maybe not throw it at first. He but wasn't it, too happy about it at first, yeah. yeah. And like, there's another song called, uh, um, I Know There's an Answer. Yeah. But it was originally called Hang On to Your Ego, which is a reference to LSD, which I'll oh. touch upon later. Mike Love was not thrilled about that and made him change it. <laughs> <laughs> crazy um oh that song was originally called hang on to your ego yeah hmm. weird huh interesting yeah um but it wasn't a brian it almost maybe was a brian wilson solo album but never was like the song caroline comma no mm-hmm. was released as a brian wilson single originally okay yeah but clearly they had the rest as a beach boys thing hmm. Um, the album was released May 16th and debuted at 106 on the Billboard, eventually topping at number 10. Hmm. Um, sales were underwhelming because 
Capital did not promote the album nearly as much as they did for wow, previous okay. previous ones. Like just because they thought like this is strange, it's different. And like in their advertisements, they never like they didn't really capitalize on that. Capital mm. didn't capitalize. <laughs> um, it's a uh, it's so weird because we've there have been other albums that we've reviewed where this same exact thing happens, where on the initial release it's like not well received like Uh people don't get it don't like it at first and then down the road it becomes it's a classic now yeah it's it's weird some of their most popular songs are off this album like kid a maybe yeah that could be one yeah yeah for sure um capital was so unconfident in pet sounds that within two months they released a best of beach boys album oh my gosh yeah (laughs) that's like so insulting (laughs) What are, we, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? This new Beach Boys album is terrible. Let's put the let's, let's put the great sets out. <laughs> How about that? I mean, I'm sure that it sold well for them. But Pet Sounds did very well in the UK. Hmm, okay. Um, the album, I suppose, since the Beatles were already huge there, then mm-hmm. that makes sense. And the album that came out before Pet, um, Beach Boys Party, yeah, was huge in the UK. So it already laid some groundwork. So whenever okay. Pet Sounds came out, it uh, it peaked at number two on the UK charts and remained there. Um, at the top 10 for six months. So, Dang. you know, r- reviews at the time were lukewarm, confused. Yeah. <laughs> some positive, mostly negative. Definitely confused, yeah. Um, but it, it was overshadowed by Revolver and Sgt. Peppers, which both mm. came within a year of Pet Sounds. Amazing how like how quickly they pumped out the music at the time. Yeah, those bands then were crazy. The album went out of print in 1974 and was huh. relocated to cutout bins and bargain bins. Huh. Um, do you know what cutout bins are? Um, I can imagine. I vaguely like I knew this from CDs, but I I didn't. I, I think I have a couple records that are Is like it just that. where like it's Something literally just a record. It's like the they where the on the sleeve itself there's like a hole, mm-hmm. or they cut through the barcode. Yeah, have you ever seen ones like that? Oh, okay. So they don't sell them for the regular price. They just sell them at a discount. They sell them discounted, and what that is is the record company will do that. They'll kind of like destroy them, and then they'll sell them to retailers at a severe discounted price oh, okay but that way like, the retailer can't sell it can't give it back to the label yeah and so, they can't sell it for the original price yeah so they sell them at bargain bin prices gotcha. it's not a good thing for your albums in a uh yeah definitely bargain. not um, brian wilson was severely depressed by the poor reception huh. i don't think he ever recovered um to the point where eventual praise of the album just kind of made him reflect on the failure um huh. In the end of that movie, Love and Mercy, well, in the middle, you, you get a little glimpse onto the next portion of, of his life, which was an album called Smile, and that's the one that Good Vibrations was on. Okay. Brian Wilson had great plans for it. He went into a, I don't know, he, he had a, a breakdown of sorts, and mm-hmm. he never, the, the album was shelved. The Beach Boys had to kind of make their own album without him. Hmm. And then years later, he was secluded, like... He, he was like a hermit for several years. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, very, very kind of sad. But that part of his life for another podcast. Um, some people liked Pet Sounds at the time, including a one Sir Paul McCartney. McCartney. He was a very big fan of Pet Sounds. Um, let me quote some stuff from Wikipedia. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paul McCartney later credited Pet Sounds as an influence for his increasingly melodic bass playing style um blah 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 blah. Hmm. 
Um, among distinguishing musical features of pet sounds that the Beatles adopted throughout Sgt. Pepper was the upper register bass lines, a larger emphasis of floor toms, and more eclectic and unorthodox combinations of instruments, including bass harmonica. Hmm. The Beatles definitely used that, and it's yes. here. Not an instrument, not a, not a common instrument at all. Um, despite not receiving any Grammy nominations, the Recording Academy inducted pet sounds into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1998. Okay. Remember, I was in the Grammy episode. I was talking about how the Grammys did the Beatles dirty. Yeah, the Beach Boys have only been nominated for four Grammys, and I think three of those were like after 1990, and they won zero in their lifetime. Wow, crazy! And they were only nominated for four. The Beach Boys. Wow, like that is that is pretty surprising. Yeah, but it is what it is. Um, in 2004, the album was, um. What's that word where it's put into something? Remastered? No, like it's... Oh, inducted? Yeah, inducted. <laughs> was inducted into the uh, the National Recording Registry by the Library of Congress. Oh, nice. Inducted. That's I awesome. don't know why I was drawing like on that one. Um, <laughs> reviews, like not, not reviews at the time, but um, nostalgic reviews or like reviews of today um, are, are much looking, more positive. looking back at it. Yeah, like yeah. Pitchfork reviewers have compared it to Watershed albums like Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon, hmm. uh, My Bloody Valentine's Loveless, and Radiohead's OK Computer. So albums Huge that kind albums, of shifted yeah. music or, or what music could be, I'd say. Yeah. Um, it's consistently on the top of, of like greatest albums of all time or most influential albums. Um, and a fun fact, journalist mentions how Blonde on Blonde by... Bob, uh, Dylan. Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan, <laughs> Revolver by the Beatles, and Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys were all released within a four-month period. That's insane. That's a big four months of music right there. Yeah, holy crap. Like some of the biggest albums of all time, all released within four months. Do people know that at the time? I don't think so. No, definitely not. They're probably just like, oh, did you hear that Bob Dylan came out with a new album? It's called Blonde on Blonde. I kind of like the, the kinda cover like of it. The cover. It's okay, I guess. Too ele- Not his best work. Too electric. I like, yeah, it's too electric. I like all of his old stuff where he just, just him and his guitar, man. He sold out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe he would ever do that. Yeah. God, nobody's going electric right now. This is, this is terrible. I hate it. Even after all the lo praise. And behold, lo and behold, it turns out to be one of the greatest oh, albums ever. Yeah, Blonde and Blonde is, is like, I, like I said, watershed. Yeah. Literally, it was a, a time in history that's uh, important. Yeah. Um, Brian Wilson, even after all these years, still is kind of confused by the eventual success of Pet Sounds. Huh. Here's a quote. He says, It keeps going back to Pet Sounds here in my life, and I'm going, What about this Pet Sounds? Is it really that good an album? It stood the test of time, of course, but is it really that great an album to listen to? I don't know. Huh. So it's kind of weird that he would say that whenever everyone else is like, It's the best. He's yeah, like, interesting. Crazy. Um, my own personal experience, when Brian Wilson was touring the 50th anniversary of Pet Sounds, they were coming through Nashville, yeah. and uh, I snagged some tickets. Uh, they played at the Ryman, so those ones sold out quickly. Um, and I bought Pet Sounds, the album, just to, to prepare. So I had like two to three months to listen to it, and I, I listened to it a lot, and I was like, wow, this is really this is really good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like surprised at first because it wasn't what I expected from Surf Rock Beach Boys. Yeah, exactly. Um, but eventually, I, I really enjoyed it. Shall we delve into the music? Yes. I think that's After enough. After all that background. That's enough background. <laughs> um, the album starts off with a, uh, a hit. With a Wouldn't, banger. Wouldn't it be nice? Ah, oh, this song. Um, I'm not going to give recommendations. I mean, the singles are all recommendations, but yeah. just check out the album as a whole. It's, it's not that long. It's worth a, a full listen. 
I'm pretty sure this song has been used like in so many movies. I think of one in particular. Like when I hear it's it. just just the first part though. The wouldn't it be nice mm-hmm. if we were older? Fifty first dates oh. is what I think of uh, when Adam Sandler sitting Sandler there eating his, and, uh, his spam and Reese's on the boat oh and crying while he's singing it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was right after he broke up with the girl and, and uh, yeah, who was the actress in that movie? Uh, it's the girl who was Drew, Drew was it, Barrymore. It was Drew Barrymore. Yeah, okay. I was gonna say the girl from ET, and it, technically true, but it was a much younger Drew. <laughs> <laughs> much younger Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, lyrically, this song shows like the innocent view of a young couple. Um, kind of romanticizing their relationship and saying, yeah. wouldn't it be nice if we were older and could spend all this time together? Yeah, yada, we yada, wouldn't yada. have to wait so long to yeah. be settled down and whatnot. And yeah. Wearing some rose-colored glasses, as some yeah. may say. Yeah. Um, Production-wise, uh, it's a great intro to like that wall of sound style. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the weird, I don't want to say orchestration, but probably a good word for it. Yeah, um, the, uh, the orchestration the... and production. I think so, yeah. I, what, one thing that I find really interesting about this song is the the timing, like with the drums at the beginning, because they start off with the do 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 do, and then the drums come in. Yeah, and it's like it's just a real interesting juxtaposition. It doesn't say it here, but I think that the two hits beforehand was to cue the rest of the band. Who was recording because they didn't there's no pro tools in the day they had to record everything at once on yeah, the tape yeah, yeah. Um, and here's a quote from wikipedia about this okay <laughs> um the calliope like instrument heard in the opening bars is an electric 12 string guitar plugged directly into the recording console hmm. due to the recording logistics this created an unusual situation in which the player had to perform the guitar in the control room away from the rest of the musicians who could not hear his playing in the regular recording space. Huh. The exception was drummer Hal Blaine, who wore headphones and was tasked with signaling the other musicians to play on cue. Um, so everything was played live. There weren't overdubs. Yeah. So he, uh, the drummer could hear the guitar. No one else could. So he had to cue everyone. That's so, really interesting. So was it notated that he had to hit those hits? Or did he do that or to, did he just to, do signal that to signal it? Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe... Maybe they it was like in the process of them trying to figure out how everyone else was going to come in. They'd be like, "Well, why don't we just why don't you just hit the snare drum?" Yeah, they could have just did it on the fly, yeah. saying like, "This is a good solution." Yeah. Um, Mike Love was credited as a writer in 1994 because he sued Brian Wilson for like this and 35 other songs that he wasn't oh, credited no. as. Um, apparently, he did write some lines, um, but it's common knowledge that he only wrote the last two lines of the song, where it's good. Night, my baby, sleep tight, my baby, and that's about it. <laughs> so the he got the half Beach Boys of lyric. Brian Wilson's writing credit. Oh my gosh, a lot of lot of legal issues between um, wow. those guys. It's just like let it go. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you're um, making enough money, but it is fun fact. I think I mentioned this on the OK Computer album, but Radiohead's "No Surprises" was inspired by the lead guitar line at the intro of this song. Hmm. I can hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just yeah okay. Because I remember when I reviewed I could OK definitely Computer, that. and I heard "No Surprises," I said this sounds like Beach Boys. Yeah. Until the rest of this, well, even the rest of this song is kind of shimmery and nice. Yeah, and wow. depressing. Uh, nice and depressing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I uh, like the I, tone and the playing style. Yeah, that make, it makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's pretty awesome though. Hmm. Cool. Um, track number two is called "Do You Still Believe in Me." 
It's probably my favorite Beach Boys song in general. Mm. Uh, I really like um, the melody. Um, well, I, I like the whole song. Yeah, lyrically, it's about a guy who's got all these faults and keeps messing up. Um, and his significant others, kind of like a rock for him, mm-hmm. always, always there, no matter what. And he's just kind of at awe that somebody else could accept them for all their faults and, and screw ups. Yeah, um, you still believe in me? Blah 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 blah. Um, <laughs> blah, 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 you know, blah, blah, whatever. Um, the melody at the intro is great, and uh, I think it becomes transcendent once like the harmonies come in because mm-hmm. um, they have that line. He sings it solo, the ah, 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 yeah. But the melodies have like the, the other voices that come in have harmonies, there's counterpoint going on, there's all kind yeah. of really good, good things going on. Paul McCartney also seems to really enjoy this line. Oh. I'm going to milk a Paul McCartney quote anytime I get it for this. <laughs> um, here's a direct quote from Paul McCartney. I love that melody. That kills me, that melody. And then he hums it um, all the way. It says he hums the first verse, bursts into a song at I Want to Cry. <laughs> um, and then the quote continues. That's my favorite. I think the way that's arranged where it goes away very quietly. I was in the car the other night and I was telling the kids, say, wait, wait, here it comes. It comes back, and it's so beautiful, right at the end. Comes singing back in these multicolored harmonies. Sends shivers up my spine. That's one of my favorite tracks. It gives, it's the, uh, uh, it's the, a, ooh, mm, moment, the mm, moment for him, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, that is for me, too. I like, I like listening to this one on headphones or just really loud and, and hearing all the harmonies. Yeah. Um, and I was, I did, I have this written down somewhere, but I'm going to mention it now about the actual recording and the, I guess the mixing on this album. Yeah. When it was done, it was done in mono recording, which means there's yeah. nothing panned to the left or right. It's all coming down, it's all the, coming the, middle. down the middle. Yeah. Um, this was not uncommon at the time, but stereo was definitely a thing. Um, the reason why it was mixed in mono, there's three main reasons. One, Brian Wilson was deaf in one year. Um, he says hmm. he he goes back and forth um, in interviews, like saying he was born partially deaf. Um, other times he said his dad whacked him in the head real hard once and made him deaf. His dad mm. was abusive. Yeah. Um, kind of like Michael Jackson's dad, but he made the musical at the same time. Yeah. You know, like, huh. are they that good because he was abusive or did he? Yeah, right. Not, you know, but um, so he couldn't really hear the stereo like mixing properly. So if, mm. if he mixed it in mono, he could tell what's going on. He could tell what's going on, huh? Um, two, he wanted to emulate Phil Spector's Wall of Sound and that was mixed in mono. Okay. And uh, number three... It gave him a little more control over people's listening. Like back in the day, like if you have mono speakers, maybe you don't set your speakers up in the correct positioning. If you're listening in a car, maybe it's not set up properly. So if it's in mono, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, that, that's a, I was always, I used to just have like one headphone in mm-hmm. whenever I was working. And I would always get so upset when it was in stereo and it's like, oh. Yeah, there's nothing coming out of this earphone right now. It's a bummer. Then purists will say you have to listen to it because that's what the way it was made. Yeah, but if you have a good pair of headphones and you hear stereo, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, Uh, I think it sounds way better in stereo. But that's me. Um, You know, I would just say it's objectively better in stereo. It's not just me. (laughs) It's not. It's not just me. Yeah, take a poll and you'll see. Also, Um, really, really cool. Um, this is the song where the bicycle horn comes up. Okay. Um, and it was because the song was originally called In My Childhood. And mm. Brian Wilson was writing about like when he was a kid. And he was going for those sounds like the bicycle horn and stuff. Oh, and so okay. he recorded that. 
Um, he did. He recorded the entire instrumentation before they wrote the the, the words. So oh, Tony really? Asher wrote the lyrics afterwards, and they couldn't like go back and take one instrument out when they record everything live. Yeah, wow. so it was there. Um, so, so the bike horns were there. <laughs> yeah, and the the intro line that that comes in the piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, they manually plucked the strings with bobby pins. With bobby pins. So they opened up the top of the piano. Um, one of them held down the keys, and they picked the strings with bobby pins. Oh. So if you listen back, you'll hear it's a weird weird piano sound, but that's what they did. Track number three is called That's Not Me. Um, it's also a very formal way to say, nah, that ain't me. Nah, that ain't me. <laughs> Which I like to say that a lot. Um, <laughs> many reviewers say that this is the most conventional rock and roll song. Hmm. Um which I guess goes to say a lot about the album because I wouldn't call this a rock and roll song. Mm. Um, Mike Loves takes lead vocals, and this is one of the few tracks where the Beach Boys actually play the instruments themselves. Okay. Um, lots of key changes in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good song. That's all I really have to say about that one. Yeah. Um, the next track is uh, kind of a crazy one, compositionally speaking-wise. It's called Don't Talk, Put Your Head on My Shoulder. Oh, I like this song. Much slower. Mm-hmm. Uh, the song's about like nonverbal communication, obviously, with your significant other. Yeah. Um, the chord changes are wild mm-hmm. and kind of unstable. This is the one where I was talking about the um, like the tone the center. The tone center, yeah. Because yeah, they said there's a lot of... Like, if you go to the Wikipedia page, it'll go into the actual composition notes. Like You can read the chord charts and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but they, they be, are really clear that these diminished chords are going to other diminished chords with strange passing tones. Yeah. Um, and it's unclear, like, the, the key for many parts. Hmm. And it is. It's weird, weird chords during yeah, some of the that's verses. Why, that's why I think that the, the description of there's not really a tone center mm-hmm. is probably the correct uh, description, or, like, there's not a tonal center. Because, like, generally whenever you hear a song, you're going to eventually hear the dominant to the tonic or the five to the one. Yeah. Which kind of gives your brain like a certain sense of resolution. Yeah, resolution and a home yeah. base. Yeah, and a home base for the rest of the song, exactly. Mm-hmm. So where where a key change, if it wasn't a conventional sense, it would sound really jarring and different in a regular like tonal song. Mm-hmm. But in this song, there's not really a tonal center. So all of the all of the, the chords going through it almost kind of form its own tonal center in a way. Yeah. Where it's like contained in that one song, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's kind of weird, and sometimes can seem like really, like spacey. Yeah, and, and unstable, but it works really well in this song. Definitely, no guitars. Yep, um, that's not very wild. Beach, that's man. not very Beach Boys like. Um, apparently, this is one of three songs that Brian Wilson is the only Beach Boy performing. Okay, the other ones maybe are the instrumentals, but we'll get to those <laughs> in a soon enough. Um, track number five is called I'm Waiting for the Day. Um, this They pick up the speed again after the last track. Mm-hmm. Gotta have that uh, track sequencing right. That's right. Um, the big bouncy pop tune, I think. Um, it's about a guy who's brokenhearted. It, like he's singing to a brokenhearted girl. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, and he can't wait until the day that she's ready to love again. Um, lots of good dynamic shifts in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's real big highs and real big lows and they they kind of juxtapose each other really nicely um you wouldn't get that sound necessarily with like a modern compression like a the way that they compress like music now mm-hmm. i don't think you could get something like this back then you mean no today oh today yeah like you wouldn't have a, a recording like this anymore yeah yeah 
Well, no, definitely not. Because everything's I mean, over compressed now. Yeah, even just from the from the beginning song, like you hear like the, mm-hmm. like the crackly, like it almost sounds like a like an old record player or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it definitely does sound unique, and yeah, you definitely would not get this sound unless you intentionally tried to get this sound. Yeah, that doesn't happen often. Yeah, uh, I like the flutes in this song. Mm-hmm. There's like a I don't know if it's a bridge or if it's a separate verse, but the flutes just kind of go over the the vocal melody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though I just did a trumpet sound, yeah. <laughs> but the flutes do it. A bunch of flutes, um, uh, but really pretty good sound. Yeah, um, definitely. On the next song, which is track number six, it's called "Let's Go Away for a While," the first of two instrumentals. Yeah, I was gonna say. I, I think I remember this one being the, an instrumental. I'm not always a fan of instrumentals, um, but this one's pretty good. It's interesting. It's got things that happen in it. Yeah. Um, it's the slower, uh, a little bit more subdued. Of the two. Instrumental of the two, I'd say. I wonder why he chose to make it an instrumental. Um, there are reasons, but I don't remember. <laughs> um, but apparently the title is a reference to uh, a comedy album called How to Speak Hip by John Brent and Del Close. Okay. If you ever want to look mm. into that. Um, this is one of the two songs that they use Coke bottles on, but the Coke bottle was used as a guitar Ooh. slide. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it actually gives like a different unique sound or if it still sounds pretty much the same. I'm sure it does to a degree. Yeah. Um, moving on to track number seven, which is a very recognizable song. Sloop John B. Sloop John B. It's a traditional song. I, I, I actually didn't yeah. know it was a tr- traditional song um, until I started listening to this album Was several years ago. the John B. Sloop? Or whatever. Um, it's like is a, it's, it about a sailor or something like it's that? It's about a boat, I believe, in yeah. Jamaica. Because like, they, they sing about the Nassau town. Huh. Um, Brian Wilson arranged this after um, Al Jardine, the guitar player, like mentioned that they should do an arrangement of it. Hmm. Um, but apparently the label really wanted them to put this on there uh, because it sounded like a clear single. Yeah, it's uh, it sounds more like Beach Boys than the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. But produ- it doesn't fit thematically. Yeah. But production-wise, I think it fits in. Yeah. Um, if if it didn't have the the same production that they put in the other songs, it would really be a huge outlier. Mm-hmm. Um, very up tempo, very catchy. Uh, I love the harmonies when it, the music cuts out and you get that nice little acapella section. Yeah. You know, now that I'm now that I'm thinking about it, like as I listened to the album recently, the whole thing really does like meld together really well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say that this is a concept album. I mean, you could look into like the love and brokenheartedness as a concept. But I think some people say that it's like a, a concept of like the sound throughout, like the production. Yeah. It does almost seem like it's more, uh, more about the music, not less about the words, but it is still way more musically themed. Yes. Like, I mean, why else would you, if it was more about the words, why else would you, you know, like use all these crazy instrument, and crazy instrumentation and, and have two instrumentals like, yeah and not like uh like hardly use any guitars which was what they were known for you know so it seems like it was since since we know that it was really intentional the way that he like wrote the album yeah then i think it's probably pretty safe to say that it's musically themed as well yeah i agree um to keep the ball rolling another huge song track number eight is god only knows yeah which is perhaps their best song. Um, best, biggest, catchiest. 
Who Paul, knows? Paul McCartney thinks it's a great song too. Did I did I bring that up ever? <laughs> Another quote from Paul McCartney. All right. Um, he said that this is a direct quote. Um, God only knows is the greatest song ever written. Wow. <laughs> so I mean, wow. That says a lot. That's a huge compliment coming yeah. from Paul McCartney. Jeez. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's a big deal. And he's written a lot of songs that a lot of people would say are the best song ever written. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it is just such a captivating melody the the I chord think. progression and the melody is is really the, yeah the melody and the counter melody and all the harmonies and and apparently they wrote this in like 45 minutes really yeah which is insane um I, yeah it's it's such a good song like it just uh whenever i listen to it i just like say i think to myself like yeah this makes sense mm-hmm. like this just works like i just like this song carl wilson took the lead vocals on this one fyi Okay, <laughs> um, but apparently it was a bold statement to refer to God in the title of a song, like in a mainstream mm. pop song. I guess yeah, that makes sense. Um, so that was like they weren't sure how that was going to go over, huh? And they were kind of nervous, uh, but it worked out clearly. <laughs> Look at all the different song titles nowadays, mm-hmm. <laughs> and people this, aren't really worried about that stuff anymore. This is another one that musicologists have noted that the song seems to subvert a tonal center hmm. really um, in ways like if you're going through the verses and it shifts it does shift around weirdly um but yeah it, it, if you're not thinking about it it makes you don't sense. notice yeah if you're not thinking about it like if you're not thinking if you're not like mentally like trying to like find when, a key in the song then it just makes sense yeah it seems simple but, but then, once once you start looking for a home a key a, a one a tonic whatever you want to call it then you're like well wait a second like what's going on yeah <laughs> this super is crazy uh, i'm a big fan of the french horns in the intro mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird i mean you don't hear french horns very often in pop music um true really nice and i really like the swirling harmonies at the end when they're all kind of singing um, I mean, like the God only knows. Mm-hmm. I think you've got three vocalists going at the same time, and they're in stereo when you hear it. It's really nice. Really? Okay. Um, super, super, duper good. Um, the bridge is kind of funky, though. It's like that dun, 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 bum, 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 I enjoy You Still Believe Me Better. Mm, okay. Track number nine is I Know There's an Answer, which was I originally... Know there's an answer. Hang on to your ego. Hang on to your ego. It's a reference to ego death and self-discovery during an acid trip. Mm, um, yep. Brian Wilson talked about it um, because he had what he called a religious experience um, on one occasion that he used it. Um, huh. But he was not enamored by the so-called acid heads. Um, and here's a quote acid that, heads. that he says, direct quote from Brian Wilson. People took acid to get away from themselves, but that wasn't the right way to take it. It was supposed to make you go deeper into yourself. I wanted to remind people that they could survive everything best if they remembered who they were. Hmm. So hang on to your ego. Yeah. Um, Mike Love was not very thrilled about that because they were like the surfy clean cut yeah good guys right <laughs> the straight um, a students so i uh, have a lot to i'm just gonna read two straight paragraphs from wikipedia okay. from uh uh from this guy yeah uh, well i mean it's got Talking quotes about it? and it's all got right. all kind of things so okay 
direct quote from Wikipedia's controversy and rewrite of the <laughs> I Know There's an Answer page. Okay. Wikipedia. The song was rewritten as I Know There's an Answer after Mike Love voiced objections to the lyrics. Love stated in 1993 interview that he found the original lyrics so totally offensive and nauseating that he refused <laughs> to sing them. <laughs> Like, I mean, I don't know the lingo of the time, but if I hear hold on to your ego, I'm not thinking of drugs. Maybe back then people. I guess maybe it was the 60s. So Um, he told Wilson he was strongly opposed to drugs such as LSD and did not wish wish for the Beach Boys to be associated with his culture. In his recollection, he was aware of the fact that Wilson had experimented with LSD and knew that prevailing drug jargon suggested that doses of LSD would shatter your ego as if that was a positive thing. I wasn't interested in taking acid or getting rid of my ego, he said. The people (laughs) that I'd seen indulge in those things exhibited behaviors and mannerisms that left much to be desired. (laughs) Uh, Next paragraph. Al Jardine, he's a guitar player, uh, recalled, Brian was very concerned and asked the rest of the bands their opinions. To be honest, I don't think we even knew what an ego was. (laughs) Like I'm saying. Uh, finally, Brian decided, forget it. I'm changing the lyrics. There's too much controversy. Huh. Uh, Love said that Brian didn't balk at the proposed lyric changes. Maybe he cared. Maybe he didn't. He never said anything to me directly. In a 2007 interview, Wilson said he didn't mind changing the lyrics. Quote, but you know what? The ego of the band was Mike. He was an ego guy. <laughs> um, he always says that Mike... Um, was an ego like had the big ego an ego egomaniac when the song was published wilson neglected to credit love as a co-writer because he changed the title and the that line yeah um uh, in 1994 love successfully sued for writing credits on 35 beach boy songs including Jeez. i know there's an answer um but I'll, if you ever go back and, and look at the beach boys like interviews they they say now that there was never any um, fights or any hmm. arguments over the lyrics or like the direction of this album. They're like, oh, we all loved it at the time. I don't no, think so. Doesn't seem they're, like they're it saving to me. face now. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. Liars, liars. Um, track number ten was called "Here Today." This is a, I, I think, a fun song. Uh, it's upbeat again. Um, it's about a guy who had a bad breakup, and he's seems to be warning his ex's new boyfriend that heartbreak is imminent. Oh, right. I remember this song now. Love is here. Do, 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 do. Love is here tomorrow's day. Bum, bum, bum. Um, the instrumental great is great. I really enjoy the bass line um, that comes in. I'm trying to think it off the top of my head. Bum, 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 bum. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. Love is here. It's like it's kind of quiet, and I think there's drums in that bass line. It's picked mm. really nicely, um, but really, really cool in climbing. Um, random calliope sounding bridge mm-hmm. in this song too. Which when you, if you're not expecting it, you're like, what in the heck? <laughs> um, well, I mean, just imagine what people experience whenever the, the good old Beach Boys are putting out a new album. It's called Pet Sounds, and then they hear this and they're like, what? What? We were expecting surf rock. We were expecting a surf rock here today. Yeah, not all this calliope and whatnot. Calliope. I love that word. It is a kind of a fun word to say. Carousel calliope. (laughs) (laughs) Insiders only. Um, Track number 11 is called I Just Wasn't Made for These Times. Mm. Uh, Slower and more introspective song. 
It's the longest song on the album, clocking in at a whopping three minutes and twenty one seconds. <laughs> <laughs> after after you telling me about like him like being secluded for a while and like like experimenting with like LSD and whatnot, the song is probably fairly personal. Yeah, and I, I think he suffered from clinical depression his whole yeah. life. Um, his his dad had it. I think some of his brothers did. But he also had like a a nervous breakdown on a plane once for tour, and like was like, oh really? Yeah, crazy things happened. Dang. Like he he also had auditory hallucinations, like hearing voices and stuff. Yeah, crazy stuff. If you watch Love and Mercy, they touch upon that. Yeah, I'll definitely have to watch that. But this might might be the most autobiographical song on the album. Um, it's talking about him, like how he doesn't really fit in with society, like he wasn't made for these times, like mm-hmm. you know, where where do I fit in? Blah blah blah. Kind of like a OG emo song. Yeah, true. <laughs> Without all the scene kid clothing and <laughs> and stuff. Without all the the weird like slippy bangs, yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. Emo before there was a real emo. Um, this is the it song. Was emotional, Steve. Emo emotional. Yeah. It was very emotional. It wasn't emo. <laughs> uh, this is the song where they use the electric theremin. Okay, I'm gonna have to listen back to this song and listen for it. Goes up. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> i can't i can't make exact exactly how a theremin sounds 100 yeah. percent. i think they were nervous about using this because they thought it would be like real alien like and people might not get it i mean it's a strange instrument the guy who invented the theremin played it on the sessions oh also. really yeah pretty cool huh? that's pretty sweet i'm gonna I, I this is a tangent but I'm I'm gonna have to look into how a theremin actually works. Yeah, I I completely because do not understand if, them. For those who don't know what a theremin is, um, I believe it's well, it's an electrical instrument, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a bar that's going on the bottom, and then it goes up like this, right? Yeah, like a big like L, a big, almost. like L. And depending on where you place your hands within that L, it or like fingers, or you like can like move your fingers. Like wiggle them, it creates different vibrations, different tones, different like melodies, different pitches. all depending on where you keep your hands within that like L. It's super weird. Yeah. If if you think of the song "Good Vibrations," yeah, um, during the chorus, it's the instrument really vibrato-y. Yeah. yeah. Weird. I could I, I could see how they would think people would think it was alien because mm-hmm. it must have been fairly new at that time. I th- I think it was I mean if the guy who invented it's playing it on here it's got to be yeah um, moving on to track number twelve yeah uh, this is called Pet Sounds title track and is the second instrumental on the album okay it was originally titled Run James Run Run James Run and the idea why they might title it that uh, it's in the mid sixties James Dean think deeper than that. <laughs> <laughs> Think deeper than that? Yes. <laughs> Are you doing Sean Connery? Yes. Which would be? James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was. It took me, it took, yeah. Think deeper than that. It wasn't the best clue, but you got Sean Connery <laughs> I got at least. Sean Connery at least. Um, it was written to be used in a James Bond film, but never was. Really? And if you listen to it, you can kind of hear where they were going for it. Huh. Um, what do you think? Like the people who make movies came to Brian Wilson and was like, hey, write us a James Bond you know, song. I don't know how that connection was set up. It's really strange because even Radiohead wrote a song for James Bond. I don't, I don't know if right. you knew that. 
It's, it's a pretty good song, but it, it never made the, the movie either. It's really I forgot strange. about that. Maybe like when they're doing a James Bond movie, they reach out to a bunch of people who are saying, give us a pitch for a song. And they listen to a bunch. Um, but lots of strange influence. But I'd say like surf music is probably the best label if you had to give one. Yeah. Um, I, f- I thought the most interesting thing about this song is that the guitar was played through a Leslie speaker. Um, Which is... I only know the Les- what a Leslie speaker was because uh, when I was at the CMC, we had a, uh, a Hammond B3 organ. Okay, yeah. And the Leslie speaker is a massive, maybe like, it was like a five-foot cabinet. And then above that was a box, and the speaker was on the in that top box, and it spins. Oh, okay. Um, and on the organ, you have a pedal that controls how fast, how fast it spins, it goes? and it okay. gives you a tremolo. Almost. Oh, okay. So if you hear organs, like organs will like shift their tremolo. It's someone's controlling the Leslie speaker. So they they played a guitar through that. Huh. Really interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't know you could. I only thought it was an organ thing. I had no idea that guitars. I mean, why not? I mean, it makes sense that you just yeah. plug it in. Yeah. Um. How about the last track, shall we? We shall. The song is called Caroline No. Um, like I said, it was originally released as a Brian Wilson solo song, mm-hmm. but the Beach Boys did it. And when I say the Beach Boys did it, I mean Brian Wilson and Brian the Wrecking Crew. And the Wrecking Crew did it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he co-wrote this with uh, Tony Asher, like most, like many of the songs on here. Um, but it was written about, I guess, a former love that Brian Wilson had named Carol. Mm-hmm. And the story is that he was talking about Carol... And Tony Asher was saying, oh, Carol, I know. And so <laughs> Brian Wilson misheard him saying, Caroline, no. Caroline, comma, no. Huh. And he huh. liked that, so he kept that. There you go. Um, the theme is about like uh, an ex-girlfriend like, um, that you'd broken up with, and the two of you have just changed so drastically since then that it'll never go back to the way it was. Yeah. Um, apparently the haircutting part was a, a true story. I don't know. Haircutting part. Because he talks about you cut your hair. Or something. Oh. Um, <laughs> you one of the cut lyrics. your hair. Okay. Um, slow and melancholy sounding. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a sad song. But this is a song that ends and has the dogs barking. Yes, at the end. The sound of a train. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have interpretations as to why that's on there. Like people are like reading really into it. Mm. Um, but in an interview, someone asked Brian Wilson, he's like, I don't remember why I chose to put that on there. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Just cause. Uh, but he did say that this might be one of the best songs he's ever written. Huh? Wow. Um, interesting. It, it was a strange way to, to do that. Um, and I don't know if this came first or the title pet sounds. Um, if you go to the Wikipedia page and look up the like origin of the title, there's like five different stories about where the title came huh. from, and everybody is sure that they're, that they're sure that there's stories, right. right? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because I mean, like, <laughs> whenever I was when I was a kid, I think I saw this like cover, the cover art for this album. Uh huh. It's it's fairly iconic, and I was like, why are those people at a petting zoo? <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. I was like, what pet sounds? Like, what is this album? And if you look at the cover. <laughs> Uh, a little closely, Dennis Wilson isn't feeding anything. He just has his hand up. They're all feeding goats, <laughs> and Dennis Wilson is feeding <laughs> an invisible goat. Do you think he was just like, why am I doing this? Like, probably. <laughs> uh, it's it's goofy, though. That's funny. Um, really, really interesting album. Um, yeah, after hearing some of the history on it that I didn't know before, I think I'm probably going to have to go back and listen to it. It's it's worth a re-listen. And, and I honestly think that I'll go back and listen to it with fresh ears. Like, my ears have been reborn. 
<laughs> the rebirth. <laughs> the rebirth. Well, I'm glad that your ears have been rebirthed. Yes, thank you. Brian Wilson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I meant to say this also about the instrumental thing. Like when um, when I saw him, um, it was like a three, three and a half hour show. Um, they did a block of uh, like greatest hits. Yeah. And then took a break and then came out and played Pet Sounds from front to back. Oh, um, nice. Took a break and then did another block of greatest hits. Hmm. Um, but during the Pet Sounds for both instrumentals, Brian Wilson would turn to the audience and say, this is an instrumental song. That means there are no vocals. <laughs> that that I means the, there are no vocals. I was like, I know that, right? <laughs> I said, most of the people in this audience probably know that album yeah. better than you do. <laughs> oh, my uh, gosh. He, he was very frail at the time. Like, he had to be walked out to the piano. Really? He's not, he aged very quickly. Yeah. He lived hard, and I think the, the drugs didn't help. Yeah, probably not. Um, but if you ever watch Love and Mercy, they touch upon, um, like when he was like a hermit, he like, lived, like stayed in bed for like two or three years. Oh, wow. Um, there was a psychiatrist or psych- I think it's a psychiatrist who like helped him with like a really intense therapy and got him up. Yeah. And then that psychiatrist ended up, uh, kind of isolating him from his family and, um, like stealing from him and doing all kinds of crazy things. Like stuff that should only be in a movie and it is in a movie, but it also was But true. it also happened in real life. Dang. Yeah. Like Brian Wilson had a crazy life. Yeah, it sounds um, like it. Yeah, I think, and I think other a lot of other people think this as well. That if he didn't have that kind of, like, if pet maybe if Pet Sounds had done really well, or if he didn't have the mental break, maybe he would have produced a lot more better music afterwards. Yeah, like he would have continued on that trajectory. Maybe not though, because as hmm. a creative person, maybe that this was always the path. Like it was always going to be. Yeah, you know what's what's true. It's a, it's a mean, strange dichotomy. I mean, yeah. What is. Uh... That's always that's always the problem with looking back at what could have been. Yeah, there's no changing. No, <laughs> what has what has it, already transpired. So, speaking of good time loop stuff, have you seen the movie Tenet? No, but I I know it's a Nolan movie. It's on HBO Max. Oh, I don't have that. Doesn't Bobbert? Bobbert has it. Yeah. Watch it from be his. like, hey, Bobbert, give me your, your do it because it's really good. <laughs> I had to pause it a couple times and rewind. Yeah, because because it was so crazy. Yeah, and they, I mean, there, there is exposition and things explained, mm-hmm. but it's its a really unique um, idea. And, like, a lot of people thought Inception was, like, really hard to understand. I thought it made sense I thought Inception off the bat. was fairly easy to understand. This one makes sense, but I had to go back and, and listen to things a couple mm-hmm. times. And I, I didn't know this until afterwards. Apparently, the the sound mixing on, on the uh, movie Strange, where the, like, the effects and the music is a little too loud and the, the voices are a little too soft. So if you watch did, it, you might need subtitles. Did Hans Zimmer also do the music for this one? I had to guess I'd say yes because he does a lot of Chris Nolan movies. Yeah, but who knows? I just remember um, in Inception whenever I realized that like the music was slowing down as they were going deeper and deeper, and I was like, "Wow, that's awesome! That's awesome! <laughs> like the, the attention to detail that they put in that is yeah. so good. I yeah. gotta go back and rewatch that." It's Did you watch Interstellar? Too. Yes. Loved that movie. I haven't seen it since it came out. That was... I gotta go back. That was a real mind bender as well. Yeah. I love that part when he goes on the uh, the island with all the waves where time's passing so quickly. Mm-hmm. And like, we're gonna have to be here for at least an hour. He's like, that's eight years! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I but just, other things too. It, it gets even crazier than I remember that. The, I remember the one point when he's like behind a bookshelf or something he's falling through like space like he was in like a black hole like falling through space time yeah and like he sees 
his daughter, right? Oh, he sees all kinds. He sees a yeah. whole bunch of stuff, and he's and it's like that part. I was like, huh, this is weird. I'm not sure if I fully understand that part quite yet. Yeah, that so. that was the one part that I didn't fully get. Yeah, but he goes and visits his daughter on her deathbed while he's still like a middle aged man. Yeah, <laughs> it's, oh, it's wild. Yep. That's a good movie, though. It is. Um, but back anyway, to the enough topic. About, enough about Chris, Christopher Nolan movies. Um, thoughts on the beer as it warmed up? Um, I kind of think more of the tart notes came out. It's less. I think it's less sweet now that I'm getting to the end of it, and it's kind of warmed up a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it, maybe you could say it's kind of like a vinegary wine. Yeah, I with think, bubbles. I think the term. I get what you're saying by vinegar. Yeah, it might not be the best. Um, best. It's not the best, but I do understand what you're saying by it, and it does make sense. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't literally taste like vinegar, obviously. No, no it doesn't. But it's uh, it, the the sourness is very much reminiscent of a vinegar. Like yeah. think of like a vinaigrette, I guess, like a raspberry vinaigrette. <laughs> well, every Maybe. raspberry vinaigrette I have is like sugar, raspberry oh, sugar, sugar vinaigrette. Yeah, you're right. Uh, maybe a real raspberry vinaigrette, a real like one. a homemade one. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I do still like it. Um, I probably, I'm not the biggest fan of sours in general, but this one's really tasty. Yeah. It's gotta be a really good one. As I mentioned earlier, um, let's say that, I don't know what we're doing next week. It'll probably be a free form or who knows what. Yeah. We'll probably just chat about yeah. something. We'll wing it. We'll, I mean, we'll find something to talk about, but it'll be slightly. We'll talk about sure. something random. It'll be a lot less in depth than pet sounds. That's for sure. Yes. I don't want to spend three hours reading multiple wikipedia pages but i'll do it if i have to don't get me wrong uh, let's say that we uh finish these brews let's do it as you always say on american brews and tunes we could be happy we could be happy down the uh lack of tonal center hatch Dirigible. Dirigible. My name is Stephen Johnson. <laughs> My name is Jesse Titus. <laughs> and this is American Brews and Tunes. Dirigible. Dirigible. Here's a theme song. You know it's not a mean song. It's a good song. Just as it should song. American Brews and Tunes. Shibbity beam a